A few years ago, my friend Tez and I set out on a great American road trip. We were going to drive from New York to Los Angeles, zigzagging through the country for six weeks. We were both in our early 20s, pretty broke, and as my mum had been a long-haul trucker, I suggested that to save a ton of money, we should sleep in the back of our hatchback. It was a pretty cozy setup. We bought some blankets and sheets at Goodwill, and cut one of them into my curtains. By the end of the first week, we'd gotten so we could set up camp in about 10 minutes, luggage moved in the front, curtains up, bedding laid down and out for the night. We slept in parking lots, free campsites, rest areas, basically anywhere it seemed safe and semi-legal. There was never a night, after the first night, where we felt scared, until the last week of our trip in Arizona. We were near Flagstaff and had gotten pretty used to our routine. We didn't go on a set schedule and would never drive more than 3 or 4 hours a day. No destination really in mind, outside a few musty landmarks. We'd drive to places we found the night before on Google and take suggestions from other campers, locals and other people we met. We'd also gotten very good at making friends. We went to Denny's with a group of rednecks we met at a campsite because I got hungry and overheard them saying that we were going to go. We met an 80 year old cowboy who took us out drinking and taught us the line dance at a country bar. I hope you're still kicking Grandpa Mac. Played the guitar with some musicians in the middle of a thunderstorm. Got fed breakfast and dinner by tons of campers who invited us to hang out with them. Spent the 4th of July with a family who basically adopted us into their campsite. The grandma gave us some weed candy. Basically, every encounter we had with a stranger was a positive one. This night didn't look to be any different. We found a free campsite on Google and drove up into the woods, following our GPS. We were pretty far out of town, and something seemed a little bit off when we pulled up to the campsite. There was one parked RV, and two cars further up in the trees. We pulled up near the RV, and a man opened the door. Tez waved hello, and he just stared at her. His expression was... completely blank. Then, as if she hadn't said anything, he just slowly closed the door again staring at us the entire time. Figuring he just wanted some privacy and thought would be obnoxious, we pulled further down the road and found a flat spot to park the car. Instead of our usual routine of setting up camp immediately while the light was out, we goofed around for a while, smoking and laughing and taking dumb photos of ourselves. Tez pointed out a campfire further down the campsite and we decided to go be friendly. We met so many cool people in the previous five weeks just by going up and offering a beer or chatting so we wandered over. Near the campsite were two men, the owners of the cars we'd seen earlier. They seemed friendly and we sat down and chat with them. They were drinking and smoking and we sat down and had a beer of them. One of the men seemed pretty off and we came to find out that two of them didn't actually know one another. The older man was definitely on some sort of drugs. He was spinning in circles and talking about UFOs, however he seemed harmless. This left us chatting with the younger man, who claimed to be a former park ranger. He was handsome and easygoing, and we spent several hours just chatting about our trip, families and everything, and then he started talking about a bear. He'd seen a bear earlier in the forest. Tez didn't believe him, and he pulled out his camera to show her the photos of the bear. It was very close to the campsite, and both of us were a little freaked out. It wasn't unheard of for one of us to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night so the idea of a bear hanging around in the night spooked us. The ranger just laughed, and then his expression changed completely. It's hard to describe, but his voice seemed somehow... cold. He said, If you get out of your car in the middle of the night, 
It's not a bear you should be worried about. I kept waiting for him to laugh, or for him to nudge Tess with his elbow. Joke's on the foreigner and the city girl, right? He never did. I awkwardly laughed and made a dumb joke about serial killers in the woods. My friend laughed as well and joked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We moved on to another subject, but within five minutes the ranger had come back and was talking about grabbing one of us from our car in the middle of the night. No matter how we tried to steer the conversation away from serial killers, he kept latching back onto it. The elder man was high as a kite at this point and was staring at the stars, not talking. We just awkwardly laughed and sipped our beer and tried to get the conversation going elsewhere. And then the ranger stood up and walked towards the caller to get another beer. At this point, it's pitch black out and I can't see anything outside the circle of light from the campfire. The beer caller was outside that circle. Suddenly, there was a red dot in the darkness and it took a moment for me to realise it's his camera. The ranger is holding a camera. He'd taken a photo of us. I could see the screen and the digital camera light up. Now, it wasn't odd for people we met to ask for pictures with us. My friend Tez is gorgeous, dark hair, blue eyes, a young Megan Fox look, and we were friendly. People like having pictures of themselves. It was entirely strange to have this person taking a photo of us without asking or even indicating that what he was doing. We were both staring at him like a deer in headlights at this point, but instead of realising what he's doing is a bit weird, he checks his camera, adjusts some things and takes another one. This time with the flash, not asking us to smile, not proposing a group photo, and no explanation. After this photo, he comes back to the fire and sits down, not a word said about the photo. At this point, me and Tezza mutually freaked out. We make some absolute BS excuse that we need to get up and go set up our campsite and nope the hell out. When we start to leave, the UFO guy smiles and says to have a good night. Ranger overlooks us with a smile that doesn't reach his eyes and says, Be careful out there. There's more than bears in the woods. Every hair on my body stood on end. I wasn't completely alone in my discomfort either, because Tez laughed a response and pulled me away from the campfire towards our car. We rushed back to the car, which we only found in the dark by referencing the RV, and jumped in the front of my seats. My friend Tez is all but hyperventilating. Why did he take a picture of us? I was shaken. I responded, I read that serial killers sometimes warn their victims. She stared at me for a second and locked the car doors. Do you think he just took victim photos of us? We both freaked out. She's in full panic and turns the headlights of the car on. I immediately yell at her to turn them off because now he knows exactly where our car is. God knows why, but that is the only night we'd not set up camp. We didn't need to tear anything down, so we just got in the car and drove and floored it out of the campsite. As we got into the dirt road, the ranger was walking towards our car with that same cold expression. Ranger, let's never meet again. I've read a lot on this subreddit and I enjoy many of its posts. I thought I should probably contribute. This isn't anything nearly as crazy as some of the stuff I read on here, but I thought I ought to give back to the community. It was the summer right after I graduated from high school. A friend and I decided to try a hand at camping. We grew up in the greater Los Angeles area, so our knowledge of the great outdoors was nothing beyond the couple of years we had in sub-scouts of America when we were in elementary school. In other words, we had almost no idea what we were doing. We packed a tent, a couple of sleeping bags, supplies, etc, and headed off in the car. 
Note that we grew up in the 80s, so this is a time before the wide prevalence of cell phones and the existence of other portable digital devices. We drove north on the 395 for about 6 hours, and then we headed westwards into the mountains in the area of Inyo Canyon. First mistake, we didn't plan on which place to camp, we played it by ear, like fools. Second mistake, we left in mid-afternoon, it was pitch black darkness when we arrived in the general area. We had driven off the main road onto a dirt road in order to find a spot to camp. The dust from driving on the dirt road overwhelmed the headlight beams when we finally decided to pull over and set up camp. It was about 10 or 11.30 at this time. We were exhausted and famished. Any place was a good spot to camp for us, given the only reason to do so at this point was our hunger and exhaustion. Third mistake. We didn't bring any flashlights. We had BIC lighters and our cigarettes. We tried to set up the tent using our lighters and had the headlights of the car which was parked about 10 to 15 feet away. The wind was blowing, so the light constantly went out after a few seconds, either directly because of the wind, or indirectly because the wind would push the flame into our thumb. Clearly, we were being complete idiots. We finished setting up the tent, but at that point I was too tired to eat. My friend managed to make some instant ramen. We smoked a cigarette in the car, then crashed out in the tent. We awoke to a very cold morning. It must have been around 5.30. Immediately upon exiting the tent, we realised that we were camped at the entrance of a hiking trail. There were at least two no camping signs in visible distance from us. We dismantled the tent, cleaned up and cleared out. That morning, we ended up buying some cheap flashlights and a nice hot meal in a very small town. It wasn't really a town, but more like a few storefronts and shops on a main road, about the length of an average city block. We went into some office, through I don't recall exactly what it was, it might have been a park ranger station or the office headquarters for a campground, in any case, we found the reserve site for that night. The campground was basically like a large circle with campsites along the outer circumference, with each campsite being about 50 yards from its neighbour. In the middle of the circle was a common bathroom and shower. We circled around it once, and then I think I saw one of the family that was set up with the tent and camper. And I think we saw a family that was set up with a tent and camper. We found our spot and set up camp, which was quite far from them. That was when we had a creepy encounter. My friend and I were lying in the tent, shining our flashlights upwards and chatting. Our new flashlights eventually gave out. Yeah, broken. Our fire pit was about 6 feet from the opening of our tent, and it was just a glowing ember. We probably should have completely put it out, but we probably shouldn't have had the tent so close. In any case, there we were, chatting away and having a good time. My friend began to be distracted with his foot. After the third or fourth time, he got up to check his foot. I asked him what was wrong. He told me that something is tapping his foot from the outside of the tent. His foot was against the side of the tent, so from the outside, you've been able to see the bulge from the tent side where his foot was. It was as if pebbles were being thrown at his foot through the tent. There it is again. What the hell? Each time it happened, there was a sound. Like pebbles or a light tap. We sort of laughed it off, assuming it was a twig or grass moving in the wind, or perhaps a loose strap on the outside of the tent. I don't recall exactly how it happened at first, but I do remember it became silent at the same time. A sound became audible to both of us. Footsteps. Slowly moving towards our tent. We wondered if it was a bear or a non-human animal. 
but it seemed distinctly bipedal. They were very slow and measured, like a step every two seconds or something. I finally said in a whisper, someone's coming. My friend didn't move, his face had an expression of fear. At some point, my friend bolted up and said, fuck this. He grabbed his pike, stuffed a pot full of marijuana, and took the biggest, deepest drags I've ever seen a person take. About a minute or two later, he was out. Drugs aren't my thing, so I was alone in the tent as far as conscious bodies are concerned. I was setting up at this point, and I'd taken out the only weapon I had, a Swiss Army pocket knife. I took out the big and small blades, as well as the ice pick in the middle, and I held it like some ridiculous melee weapon. I could see the glowing embers from the fire pit through the sheer nylon material of our tent, and I was able to roughly, but barely, discern some of the rocks around it. I watched and listened intently. The footsteps came closer, and at a slow pace. With each step, I could hear the dirt and rocks crunching underneath and grinding. At some point, it was clear to me that whoever it was standing between the tent and the fire pit, from my fuzzy line of sight to the burning embers through the nylon tent, became obstructed by someone outside the tent. These footsteps stopped right in front of the tent, about six to eight inches, no more than four, from the entrance of the tent. It was silent for about a minute, and then I heard a click. At the exact same time, I clearly saw through the nylon tent wall a flashlight turn on. I was able to not just see the flashlight, but the outline of a hand holding it. The flashlight was shining on the zipper entrance into the tent, just inches from the zipper. Blood drained out of my head, and my palms instantly became dripping in sweat. I yelled, Who's there? There was some fear in my voice, but it was a mostly aggressive tone. Wherever it was, the person immediately turned off their flashlight, didn't move, but neither did they run. The person just stood there, inches from my tent's entrance. My friend's out, totally unaware of what's going on. Nevertheless, I pretended that he was still awake and whispered just loud enough to be audible to our visitor. Yeah, loaded. There's one in the chamber. As if my friend was awake and asked me about a gun. Fourth mistake. We didn't have a gun or any real weapon for self-defense. It felt like an eternity, but after sitting down for all of ten minutes, I heard footsteps slowly turning into the dirt, then slowly walking away from the tent. I stayed up the whole night, and it wasn't until the light of dawn came through the tent that I crashed out. The heat inside the tent woke us up. It was near noon at this point. We went outside to inspect the site, but found nothing was missing. However, we did find boot prints leading away from our campsite and outside the campground. That was the last time I camped in a tent. I just discovered this sub. I've been reading your stories, and some are quite frightening. I have a towel from a long time ago I want to share, and I think it belongs here. I'm now a 72 year old man. This happened long ago, but I remember it so well. The background was a series of events that placed me in a mountain cabin outside of Frederick, Maryland, circa 1969 or 1970. Just say my life at the time was in disarray. I dropped out of college, my father had died very badly, and I was alienated. I needed to get my mind right. The opportunity to move to an isolated cabin, to live in contemplation and solitude was welcome. I had some inheritance money to pay for it. To the best of my memory, I was there 8-9 to nine months, no TV, but books and radio. I had a library card, and I can't remember if I had a phone. This story begins within a month of my stay. 
A female beagle showed up at my door. She was lost, and I took her in. Never trained her to do anything, but I fed her, and she was sweet, if not the brightest dog. In a few months, I began to feel a presence around the isolated cabin. Hard to describe, but I felt like someone was watching. On many occasions, I thought someone might have been looking in my cabin window, watching us. The next phase was a shadowing or following. I knew the folks half a mile down the lane, woods all around, and would sometimes visit them at night. Someone, something was waiting for me, and followed closely in the woods beside me in the darkness. You could hear it easily, footsteps in the woods, and it picked up its pace as I did. This not only happened to me, but to my younger brother who visited, and to friends. It spooked them, big time. At night, it was out there, around the cabin. It's a funny thing, I was never afraid, never felt threatened, not at all, at least not early on. There was no feeling of malevolence. I spent a good bit of time wandering the vast areas of woodland around me. There was a state park just uphill, and the Frederick Municipal Forest went on mile after mile. The whole of the Western Maryland was much more country than it is now, none of the development had yet set in. In our hikes, the dog and I, we came across evidence of campsites, recent ones in the woods, traces of fires, old abandoned buildings that had corners that gave shelter and looked slept in, garbage, food and drink, paper, what have you, anything like that, perhaps hunters, but much of it didn't have the organised feel you would expect from experienced hunters. The last months of my stay was when things sort of, I guess, intensified. Maybe he sensed I was preparing to leave. In the mornings, I would find small dead animals at the bottom of the front porch steps. The cabin had a small front porch, screened with a light door, and four wooden steps into the ground. A spotlight would illuminate the long front yard, with the woods close by either side. Dead animals began to appear at the bottom of the steps many mornings. I remember small birds, then a squirrel, then a rabbit, even a weasel one day. They were like offerings. I had to grab them up before my dog ate them. This went on almost daily for several weeks. One night, very late, I was awoken by some sound. I lay in bed and heard something from the porch. I hopped up and hit the lights and saw that hound dog, who never learned to sit or stay, standing at the front door, in a perfect point position. She was shaking in fear. She never barked. I heard the door slam and footsteps down the stairs. I hit the spotlight but saw nothing. I went out. He had been on the porch at my front door, maybe trying to enter. After that, I stayed in at night, more and more. The animal offerings got bigger and bigger, larger birds, a possum, a woodchuck. It wasn't funny. The final two gifts were legs from either horses or cows, big and bloody, one was skinned. <laughs> the second to the last day, the dog left me. I could hear in the woods howling on a trowel, following a scent. I looked for her in everywhere I could came up the following weeks, but to no avail. She left as she came. I moved back to the Maryland suburbs of DC, got an apartment with a friend, got a job, and moved on with my life. One day, not long after, I picked up the Washington Post, and there was an article about recent encounters with the skies of a monster. It described a tall, yeti-like creature, fur-covered, on two legs that would pick out a personal family and give them attention. I wasn't the only one. The attention described in the article was exactly what happened to me. Following you at night, looking around the inside of the house, gifts and so on, I was shocked. 
If I had turned on the spotlight and seen a big four Yeti, I might still be running. But I think I know who it was. Skarsville, Maryland was a location of Springfield's Hospital Center, a large state psychiatric hospital. It was 20 miles or so east of Frederick. Back then, many folks knew how to live in the woods. They grew up that way, country folk. I think the monster was an escape patient, or just a free schizophrenic who lived outside. This is like all the homeless you see in the cities now, probably off his meds, but somehow functional and lonely. He would pick up people or families to adopt. The camps in the woods could have been him, nothing to do. He would make mischief. I think he liked me, but sensed I was leaving. I can't prove any of this, it's just my theory. My monster was very much of that time and place, and his behaviour was what I noticed in the early cases then. I don't think he could have survived until the 1980s. Deinstitutionalization of many hospitals threw the mentally ill out into the streets and took away the shelter in hospitals. Unprotected, the mentally ill die.